Hi, I'm Stathis, your host. Before we jump in this episode, let me introduce DevRelX. DevRelX is a hub for developer marketing and DevRel professionals. Stay home while DevRelX brings you rich content to boost your DevRel game. Access developer population insights, news, job openings, and more. Discover how to empower developers and grow communities at devrelx.com. Today's episode will start with a quote from our guest. One major difference with the Orbit and the Funnel is that the Orbit is a model for creating value for the community, whereas the Funnel is a, val- is a model that's used more to capture value for the, the company. Welcome to Under the Hood of Developer Marketing, a podcast from Slash Data. I'm Stathis Yorgakopoulos, and I've been long involved in the production of our book, Developer Marketing and Relations, The Essential Guide, and this podcast. Through our two seasons, we've covered a wide range of topics, but uh, what's really great is that there's always new things, technologies, or even philosophies that come up. Today, I'm joined by Josh Gielak from Orbit. Josh, welcome to our podcast. Thanks for having me. We met uh, last December during DevRelCon in London, um, where you talked uh, about the Orbit model, which uh, we hope that you'll be presenting to us uh, also in this episode. Uh, but before we jump into it, could you please introduce yourself to our listeners? Uh, sure. Yeah. So my name is uh, Josh Jellick. I'm the co-founder and CTO at Orbit. Uh, I live in Paris. I moved from Par- to Paris from San Francisco a few years ago. Uh, but I still spend a lot of time with the, in the Bay Area here. So how did you end up in developer marketing? What has been your journey? I had a pretty interesting path. My background is in software engineering. Uh, that's what I did at university. And uh, for the first part of my career, I was purely just a software engineer. First at, uh, in consulting with lar- larger companies like Accenture, and then eventually moving into the startup world um, when, I, when I moved out to San Francisco in 2008, 2009. I did a lot of Java, a lot of Ruby on Rails, a lot of JavaScript, uh, little pieces of Python and other languages uh, throughout. Uh, but in 2013, I started working at a company called Keen.io, which was an analytics API for developers. And that was the first job that I had where I was actually building a product for developers and for the developer community. Uh, I was the VP of engineering there for the the first part of my tenure, uh, just focused on building the platform. But after the platform was ready, we had a developer advocate on the team named Justin Johnson, and he was out there evangelizing the platform and showing developers what they could do with it. And I just started joining him uh, on some of his trips. I started submitting CFPs and just spending more time outside of the building, helping developers get to know the Keen.io technology and what they could do with it. And I, and I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed um, adding that onto the uh, set of things that I was already doing as a VP of engineering. So after Keen, uh, I joined a company called Algolia and uh, I joined as the first developer advocate. And that was my first, uh, first role that was not pure software engineering, but actually had a, you know, an advocacy component to it. Uh, so I built the dev- developer relations team at Algolia over uh, two years. And after Algolia, I started a small agency called Developer Mode, where we were helping all kinds of different companies with their developer relations programs. Uh, and that led us directly into creating Orbit, uh, as we discovered that a lot of companies in the developer space 
with their developer marketing efforts, with their developer relations efforts, we're experiencing a lot of the same problems and really suffering from a lack of tools that uh, work specifically for developer relations and for building technical communities. Uh, and so that, I think that's and that brings us up to today and where we are now. So yes, there's, uh, as you said, the, the, there's this lack of tools that, uh, you know, everyone is uh, trying to, to find a way that they can use the right tools to get uh, their goals. We'll get to that in a bit. So you're a software engineer, so you've already worked with uh, software development, so you know the process, but uh, there are many people out there that are uh, considering a career in developer marketing. They don't necessarily have the developer background. Do you need to be a developer to be good in developer marketing? That's a good question. So I think that you, you don't have to be a, a developer. You, you don't have to, you know, write code. You, ha you do have to understand, though, the thought process that developers go through. And you have to have empathy for the situation that the developer finds themselves in. Because ultimately, to be able to communicate in a developer-friendly way uh, and to be able to plan your activities as a marketer in a way that's going to resonate with your audience, which is, of course, very important to marketing, you have to be able to think with the developer mindset. And I think that's the most important part. So someone who's looking to you know, go into a developer marketing role who's not a developer can spend some time getting, getting to learn that developer mindset, whether that's taking a few months of a, you know, an introductory programming course themselves, uh, whether that's really reading a lot of developer-focused content that is, that is popular and successful to kind of train the, the intuition. I think that's the, the easiest advantage that developers have when they're moving into a developer marketing role is that their intuition is already very well trained for what developers want to hear. Um, but the, just writing a bunch of software is not the only way to do that. Uh, you can certainly also become an expert in, the, in the, the tone and the voice and the values of the developer community and start to communicate that way. And so I've worked with a lot of great developer marketers in the past who really dedicated themselves to, uh, to that and, and to learning that, that style of communication and who are really, I would say, very excited to empower engineers to get out there a bit more, uh, whether that's through a content program or a speaking program. A lot of the, the best developer marketers I know are very, very willing to let uh, developers take the spotlight and, and to actually push them into the spotlight. And so if you, if you feel like that's something that you'd be passionate about, then I think you can be a very successful non-developer in a developer marketing role. Sure, that's uh, very encouraging to our listeners who are uh, not yet in DevRel or they're new to it or are even considering it. Empathy is one theme that has come up quite a lot of time because you need to understand the problems that developers are facing in order to, to help them out of them. And uh, I really like what you said. Is it's about having the developers on the spotlight and not yourself and helping them uh, and empowering them. So. Where should DevRel sit within an organization? Many people say that uh, it should be in a product because uh, it has come up a couple of times on the podcast that in developer marketing and uh, developer advocates or uh, developer relations, those people that are in DevRel, in their company, they represent the developer and in the developer represent uh, the company. 
So where should Daryl sit? Should it be in product? Should it be in marketing? Should it be in sales? Because you wrote a series of blog posts about this specific topic and about how Daryl should work together with the rest of the teams. Right. Yeah, we wrote a blog post series with uh, Heavybit, who uh, is uh, one of the leaders in the, the space of helping companies think about developer marketing, developer relations, and, and kind of everything related to building developer businesses. Um, and it, it was fun to collaborate with them on the series and, and think about the relationship between DevRel and, and all these other teams, marketing, sales, and, and product. But I think to, to get to your question, where should DevRel sit within an organization? The first thing that I, the first answer I always have to that question is where it has the highest chance of survival. Um, we all know that DevRel uh, can be a rocky road inside of the organizations uh, that, it, that it lives in. Uh, it's a new type of field. Uh, KPIs, metrics, programs, practices are not super well-defined. Those are emerging uh, as we speak. And so to, you know, to echo uh, Jessica West, who also spoke at uh, DevRelCon London this year, it's very important to have a strong executive sponsor of your developer relations team. Uh, and, and sometimes that sponsor can come from different areas of the business. It's best when the strong executive sponsor for your team is in charge of the area that you're impacting most. So if you're very focused on growth, if you're a, a growth stage startup, uh, that, that's probably true. And you're probably trying to accelerate the pace of developer adoption in the company. And that can mean a very good fit to be inside of the marketing team. But for that to work, you also need the VP marketing or the CMO or whoever has the, the marketing leadership to truly be bought into the idea of developers and to truly want to invest and be good at communicating those investments with you to the rest of the executive team. So even if your goals are growth oriented, sometimes it can still make more sense to be inside of a product or an engineering organization if, the, if you have a better executive sponsor there. The advantage of being inside the engineering organization is that it's easier to gain credibility with the engineers in the company because you're sitting right next to them, you're speaking to them a lot, you, you're not coming from a perception challenge of being inside the marketing team, like wh whether we like it or not, developers can be skeptical, uh, even the developers inside of the company of their marketing colleagues. Uh, that's something I think DevRel is in a great position to remove that skepticism over time by building a bridge between these two groups. But if you're in the engineering team as a DevRel, it's easier to work with engineers to write blog posts. It's easier to get engineers to come to your meetups. It's just easier to build that relationship. And, and it's a very important relationship. And then the same can be, can be true with product. If you're a DevRel sitting inside of a product organization, the relationships that you build with the product managers, and with the product delivery teams can help you make sure that feedback is getting acted on. It can help you accelerate the loops. So uh, when you go back to a developer who's given you feedback or who's asked for a particular feature, that you can say, oh, we did it. It's done. It's there. Um, because you were close enough to the product team to actually uh, get them to move on some feedback that you got from the community. Um, so ultimately, I think whether DevRel lives inside of marketing, product, or, or engineering. I think the important parts of success are defining the workflows that go in between the teams and also defining the boundaries. So as a, 
DevRel, you're, you're in a place where a lot of people in the company can come to you and ask you for time and ask you for things. And the, the sales team can come and, and ask you to be on pre-sales calls or ask you to build relationships with the developers at one of their accounts. The product team can ask you to go get feedback about a certain thing, do developer research. The marketing team can ask you to produce content, give talks, et cetera. And it's, so it's very important to define your availability for those teams and to set boundaries. Uh, you know, how much time can we actually give? And a lot of the, the content in the blog post series that we did with Heavybit is, is around that. How do we set boundaries? How do we do, decide the workflows? So that when we're working with other teams, we have a force multiplier effect. We're making them better because they, they have a better understanding and better empathy of the developers who are using our technology. Um, and we're also making ourselves more successful because we're making the developer relations efforts more visible. And we're not taking on so much that we're spread so thin and it's hard to get results on what we're doing for other people or what we are doing for our own programs. Yes, yes, I totally agree with everything. It's the, it's the nature of the someone in DevRel that um, you know, it can touch different territories depending on the needs. The most important thing is, um, as you have said, to set the goals and um, act in a direction that helps them, even though it's not a strict positioning under a specific department. And also, because of that, boundaries are important. And um, I really like going through the blog post series, which I will also post in the description of this episode for our listeners to, to go through, because I think it's very valuable. Speaking of boundaries, you have worked uh, a lot in uh, developer relations in different positions. What have been some of the biggest challenges that you had to overcome? And uh, how did you overcome them? That's a great, that's a great question. Uh, I mentioned just a few seconds ago, being, being spread too thin and being overcommitted, I think is a, is a big challenge in DevRel. That was certainly uh, ha has happened to me in the past, and it's happened to a lot of colleagues. Uh, if you go to a D DevRel con conference, uh, you're more, than, more likely than not to hear a talk about burnout or to hear a talk about the lack of boundaries being set in a developer relations role, leading to all kinds of confusion and hecticness and, and sometimes you know, uh, unfortunate outcomes. So I, I think that when I think of the mistakes that individual DevRels and the organizations that employ them make, there, there's some, some commonalities. A lot of it comes down to expectations. One thing in, in DevRel is that there's not just one kind of DevRel role. Some developer advocates are expected to be subject matter experts, generally when they're, when they're um, on the, the more, coming from the more engineering side. They're expected to be thought leaders in their space, to publish a lot of content, to create um, talks, to, to deliver things. That's got one kind of developer advocate. An entirely different type of developer advocate is serving as the developer bridge between many different organizations or teams inside of the company. Uh, they're responsible for uh, what Mary Thingval, who works in uh, DevRel and publishes the DevRel Weekly, what she calls DevRel qualified leads, which is catering to the many places where developers can be introduced to other people around the organization. So maybe you're a DevRel, you have a conversation with a developer, and it turns out that 
that developer is looking for an introduction to the sales team because their company is interested in buying the technology or the developer uh, is interested in creating some content and writing that as a guest contributor on a blog. And so it makes sense to introduce them to the marketing team. The, you know, the, the mistake that I've made in the past is facilitating a lot of these DevRel qualified lead type of interactions uh, and, and not tracking them, uh, not being good enough at the, at the tracking to say, okay, the, this month, uh, our developer relations team facilitated this many introductions to sales, this many in introductions to someone working in product to give feedback, this many introductions to our content team inside of marketing to produce content. And despite spending a lot of time on those things, it was very hard to communicate the value that we were bringing to the organization because we weren't tracking them. So I, I think one of the most important things that you can do in DevRel to avoid that mistake is, is just be very diligent about tracking everything that you do. Uh, write that down. If you go to an event and you have a certain number of conversations, make sure to write those down in your notebook at the end and tally those up uh, when it comes time to give the metrics because not everything in DevRel is easily quantitative, but all of the, the qualitative stuff, uh, the stories of interactions that you have in the field, and to the extent you can communicate the volume of those uh, can go a long way to making executives understand the role that you're playing inside the bigger organization. So I really can't recommend that enough. So it's back to metrics. Uh, this is a, a theme that has come, I think, numerous times, or if not in every episode of this podcast, it was also a very common theme on, uh, during DevRelCon. But as we keep talking to people in DevRel and developer marketing, because it's, it also involves, as you said, a very qualitative work, which cannot be specifically measured at the time, or as uh, Max Cads from IBM in a couple of episodes back said, it's something that you make an introduction, let's say today, and this might lead to uh, people adopting your product uh, one year later, for example, which are things that you cannot measure at that specific point. So, yeah, it's... It's metrics. They've been a key. You said it earlier. It's an emerging topic uh, in developer marketing. There's no perfect recipe. Metrics depend on your goals. Mary's DevRel qualified leads really helps to, to narrow it down. Uh, but there are ways we've seen that people uh, try or try to find their recipe. Either there is, for example, the ARP framework. Um, it's also called uh, Pirate Metrics, which I will uh, take a moment now to, to explain to the listeners who are not aware of it. Uh, my background is uh, in marketing, so uh, I live and breathe the, the funnel. So the idea is uh, considered the Pirate Metrics uh, title comes from the initials. So you can imagine a funnel that uh, starts at the top level, which is uh, awareness and ends in product the the narrow part or the bottom and uh, it's three a's three r's and a p and it's the process that um, people come from uh, from the top which is uh, awareness through acquisition activation retention uh, then revenue refer referral and product which is more or less the process of how let's say your uh, customers, uh, I will use that uh, rather liberally for this case, the word customers, they get to know you all the way to you having um, revenue from it. And uh, in the process, working with what you have to offer, maybe trying it, even purchasing it, 
or um, even at the referral, bringing more people because they, they're happy with, uh, with what they see. This is a framework that uh, has been popular, been popular from, uh, for quite a while now, starting, uh, if I'm not wrong, at uh, 2001, because before it was later uh, adjusted to better match the technology and, uh, in our case, the Devrel case. So, Josh, what is wrong with this framework? Uh, it's been uh, widely used across different interest industries, but why does it not seem to work so effectively in, uh, let's say, developer marketing? A lot of the reason comes down to the way that adoption works. Uh, at Orbit, we say software is adopted, not sold. And part of the distinction is that adoption is, is a very complex animal. Developers don't always or usually adopt software in a very linear way. They might read a blog post. A month later, they might go to a meetup and someone at that meetup is giving a talk about that technology. Maybe it's React, maybe it's Vue.js. Another month passes and they see something on Twitter that's a sample app that's built with one of those technologies. And, and then they go to GitHub and they clone it and they start to play around with it. And then maybe six months later, they're at a new job and someone is asking what technology should we use for this? And then the developer might say, oh, I had a great experience you know, six months ago with this technology. I, I set it up. I really liked it. It's very nonlinear. It, very, it, it takes a long time. And adoption is also very community driven. It's very word of mouth driven. So a lot of how innovation spread and how technology spread is uh, through the, the sharing that happens. And in, in the age of GitHub and Twitter, uh, Stack Overflow, the dev community, uh, these platforms are, are places where word of mouth can really help, uh, can really help technology spread. And so part of the, the challenge with using you know, pirate metrics for this is that it doesn't account for the group of uh, the, 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 po the people and the, the populations that make up those different areas. When you think of the funnel, you don't think of a lead as you're talking to other leads. Let's say the funnel has, you, you know, gives you that kind of a lead mentality. The idea is someone's going step-by-step -step through a pipeline or through a funnel and that's you know that that's just generally a little bit too simple for how software spreads and so much happens when developers who are who are already activated start producing other you know other um other content and start getting other people and excited about the technology and so the you know th that's fundamentally what we what we see trying to use the, the funnel to answer certain questions about DevRel can be can be very hard. You know, how many how many leads did we get from our last meetup? Well, that's just not a really great question because you don't know uh, for for a long time you don't know how many future customers that meetup is going to influence. Uh, it's much easier to measure the impact of of the meetup on your community building activities, uh, and so you you need to start there. So, uh, yeah, thank you. Uh, one main thing I keep from uh, what you just said is the, the role uh, that the community plays. And we know it, we've seen it a lot of time, community is the core of all developer marketing activities. When we met during DevRelCon, uh, you went on stage and you presented what I felt was a better approach to this. 
So will you please tell us now about the Orbit model? Sure. Yeah, and um, thanks for, for coming to the talk, by the way. It was, it was really uh, great to, to have you in the audience, and it's really great to have uh, the, the whole kind of DevRel community there. I, I think it, it's something that's hit a nerve uh, with the community, which, which I couldn't be more excited about. So the, uh, indeed, then uh, it's really something that uh, you know when I I saw the concept, it really resonated, and uh, this is why I want you to be on the podcast because I want more people to hear it because it kind of puts in the right place uh, the things that you should be considering both around your community and both about how your uh, product interacts with the world. So please go ahead. So what what. Uh... Where I like to start explaining the the orbit model is um, is just with the visual. So one thing that you know why we why we named it the way that we did is the acknowledgement that developers are constantly in your orbit in a variety of different levels. So if if you have a developer community, let's say of a thousand people maybe a hundred of them are big advocates for you. Maybe 500 of them have actually used your technology to build some kind of an application. Maybe half of them are using it in production. Maybe the other half just were using it maybe as a hobby or as an experiment or an exploration. Um, and then maybe you have 250 people who have, you know, maybe come to an event. They haven't really played with the technology but they've, they've read a lot of blog posts. They can tell other developers roughly what it does. Um, you have a huge amount of variability in a developer community on the familiarity that developers have with the technology and also the ability for developers to help the message spread. And in the Orbit model, we call these two concepts the love and reach. So every developer who is in the Orbit has a, what we call a gravity. And their gravity is their ability to attract other people into the community. And the equation we use for gravity is love times reach. Love is the familiarity and the affection that a developer has for, for a technology. So if a developer has used, let, let's say, a, a technology like Rails over and over and over again, they've built lots of production applications, they've uh, you know, even given a talk about it, people go to them for advice on the topic, we would say, we would say that they have you know, a, a lot of love for the you know for for that technology, uh, and then reach is about a developer's ability to influence the, the the broader developer community. Now that can certainly happen on Twitter and social channels. Uh, we we can all see that you know there there are developer influencers out there who really help shape a lot of the conversation around new tech. But that's certainly not everyone, and then that's that's a pretty small. Uh, even though there there's a lot lot of share of voice that those people have. Most conversations where technology spreads are inside the workplace when one developer is talking to another. So a, a developer who works inside, let's say an enterprise organization that has 10 or 20,000 developers and who's able to give internal workshops, um, who writes on internal blogs uh, and, and you know, sets examples by making technology decisions has a huge amount of reach inside of that organization. So coming back to our, our key equation for the orbit model, it's gravity equals the love times the reach. And your job uh, as someone working with that community, as someone in developer relations, is to increase the gravity of the people who are in your orbit. Um, and that can be by increasing the love or increasing the reach. 
And ideally, you want to, you want to do both. And so when we practice the orbit model, we tend to put developers into four orbits. Uh, and that's, that's based on how much gravity they have. The, the names of those four orbits are observers, users, fans, and ambassadors. And uh, we kind of start at the outside with the observers who have maybe a little bit of love. Uh, they have a little bit of reach. And we work our, our way all the way into our ambassadors, which have a lot of love. We are on a first name you know, basis with them. We see, and see them in an event. We certainly say hello, probably DM them on our community Slack all the time. And that's, uh, you know, and, and as ambassadors, we like to think of them as people who have their miniature communities. And part of our job in Daryl is often to help them, help them build their community as we're building our community. Because we, you know, we all know communities are really just a set of smaller communities. So that, that's kind of the, the main ideas behind the orbit model. I, I will say that it is a model that's designed to be developed with the community. And it even has its own GitHub uh, repository. And we invite everybody to contribute there to go in. And uh, it's just written in Markdown. So if you, you know, know Markdown, uh, you can make the changes there. Or you can you know, just get in touch with us anytime and stick around ideas. Uh, the idea is to make the, the model better and better over time and to really uh, help people use it to visualize their community and to increase that gravity. Thank you, Josh. So why is the Orbit model uh, better than the funnel? What are its uh, advantages or the things that it considers that the funnel doesn't, the, those that are not so obvious? So the, the Orbit model focuses on community. And this is where I, I think it's a lot different or better than the funnel for this particular use case. One major difference with the Orbit and the funnel is that the Orbit is a model for creating value for the community, whereas the funnel is a, val is a model that's used more to capture value for the, the company. When we create a ton of value for our community, that's, that's what helps it grow. Uh, when we create content that educates developers, when we give developers opportunities to learn or to interact with, with others, we're creating value for our community. And when we do that, it, it naturally increases the gravity of everything. Uh, and so when we use the, the terms in the orbit, that's, all, that's often what we're thinking about. When we think about uh, how do we have, you know, how do we encourage someone who's a user who's in our third orbit level to step up and become a fan who's in our second orbit level. That's the kind of language that we get using the orbit model. And it's harder to find that language inside of the funnel. Uh, the funnel is ultimately focused on that conversion step at the end where we, you know, we, we have someone you know, who starts paying us. Uh, and ultimately there are so many different effects that we need developers to, to have. Uh, the, the most valuable thing that a developer can do is often not related to paying us. Uh, it's often related to spreading the word uh, and, and ultimately helping, you know, helping other people find us and increasing the, the size of that pool so that ultimately we do get more people on the top of the funnel. So the, the, or, the orbit is not a replacement for the funnel in every context. It's that if you have a vibrant orbit, if you have a huge attractive force in your community naturally that's going to generate a lot of activity for your more traditional funnel-driven marketing and sales processes. And we see that all the time with developers bringing technologies into organizations and 
being the catalyst for, for a conversation that leads to a sale. We, we see that all the time. But we also know that if you pressure developers, if you put them in the funnel and you don't treat them right, then they lose their, uh, they, they don't want to advocate and they stop bringing uh, new technology into the places that they go. So uh, the, the one difference with the orbit and the funnel is that we're more aware of not pushing developers too far too fast because we're okay just keeping them in orbit. We don't need to push them to a specific outcome. We can keep them in orbit for a while. They can be a user and then they become a fan and then maybe they work with some more technology that's different for a while and they, they go back to being an observer, but then they start using us again for everything and they become an ambassador. This, the, these pathways are uh, very, very common actually, but uh, very nonlinear. And then the orbit model gives us a language for describing that. And it doesn't make us feel like we need to push that developer in, in one direction before they're ready. Um, so overall, we think about how to give our community the best community experience and our developers the best experience as they go throughout their journey. The Orbit model provides a set of language and, and primitives and ideas for, for thinking about that. Totally agree. I think the key word here is that uh, software adoption is not linear. Uh, the funnel model, uh, I've been using it a lot for some cases it's just perfect but i think the orbit model matches more the non-linearity of software adoption and how developers might engage with the technology and then drop it for a bit and then get back to it later and um, all these kind of things that could uh, change over time what advice would you give to people in dev or dev marketing that they can use the idea of the orbit to optimize their activities now, one thing we like to say is that the Orbit model is incrementally adoptable. And what we mean is that you can start using just pieces of it at a time uh, to help structure and prioritize your DevRel and community efforts. So one way that uh, we think is, is useful to get started is just to start getting familiar with the vocabulary and evangelizing that internally. Vocabulary, the key concepts there is the ones that I've mentioned before are the gravity of the community, the love and the reach of an individual developer, and how our job is to increase that, and the, the orbit levels that we maintain, our ambassadors, our fans, our users, and our, our observers. What gave me a lot of early confidence around the orbit model was seeing that language make a lot of my conversations easier uh, with people inside of the marketing team, the product team, the engineering team, uh, the sales team. Uh, even who 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 understood uh, what we were talking about when we called someone a fan, you know that was that was clear. And so just w bringing the language into an organization, maybe first in your DevRel team, and then to the the broader you know the broader company, do a workshop, do do a training. We've got materials on the GitHub repository for that, and we're always ha happy to support. But just that language is going to start having an impact. Because you know, marketing and sales with the funnel have a language, a vocabulary, a set of concepts that's very well, you know, that's universal really at, at that point. And it's very easy to understand what marketing and sales teams are doing when you understand what a pipeline is, when you understand what an opportunity is, uh, and so on and so forth. If we try to use that language to describe what we're doing, everything gets very confusing. And so just having that language and, and starting to use that in your, in your interactions with people, that's the first way to get started and, and, and to see that if, if it's really fitting for you and, and really helping. And then 
we'd say start, start by building your orbit levels and start with the first one. So a lot of DevRel teams have an idea of who their ambassadors and their champions are. And certainly a lot of them have an MVP program or a VIP program, an ambassador program, something like that. So a lot of people already have this type of program. So it's pretty easy to make, you know, to, to have that fit into the, the model. But it's very important for any DevRel team to know who, is, who are their ambassadors, who is in their orbit one, as we would call it, because those are the people who are having the most outsized impact on your community building activities. Those are your external advocates. And you can start there. And once you have an idea of what the real criteria is that, that puts people in there, then you can move up to fans and ask that same question. Who are our fans? What does that criteria mean? What's the difference between a fan and ambassador? What's the difference between a fan and a user? And understand that. And then you can work up your way up to users and ask the same questions. And then you can work your way up to observers. And at each level, you can look at KPIs, like what's the size of the, of the orbit? We have 50 ambassadors, we have 100 fans, we have 400 users, we have 500 uh, observers. Understanding the relative size of those populations gives you insight into the programs that you design for them um, and for just the overall structure of your community. And it helps you find gaps. If you have a lot of fans, but no ambassadors, that's a great opportunity to take some of those fans, the ones who are the most, um, you know, who have the highest love and the highest reach and engage with them more. And if you have a lot of users that haven't become fans, you might want to think about some programs that help someone move from being just a product user to someone who actually feels like part of the tribe, who feels like they're in the community. And that could be reaching out to do a video call. That could be sending them some swag. That could be inviting them to the conference, inviting them to, to fly out to your, your user conference, anything like that to try to help uh, that person move from being just a user to a fan. So designing programs in your DevRel team around the different orbit levels is something that can, can really structurally help you think about that. And you, can, you don't have to do that for every orbit level at once. You can do that one at a time. And then measuring KPIs as you go, like the size of the orbit and how quickly you can promote people from one orbit level to another. Yes, that's great. And I really, what I really like is how this model really simplifies things, taking it even to just those uh, four smaller categories. And uh, as you said, the language makes a lot of sense. And uh, trust me when I say there's, these are uh, words that I might be using too in my uh, campaigns or AI communications. And uh, thank you very much for uh, presenting it with us today. Uh, if our listeners want to hear more about this. Uh, where can they reach you? So you can send me an email anytime. I'm just josh at orbit.love. Uh, on our website and blog, you can find more information about the Orbit model, and that's just orbit.love slash blog. And our GitHub repository uh, that has all the content for the Orbit model, and that's github.com slash orbit-love slash orbit-model. Perfect. Thank you for joining us today, Josh. Thank you, Stathis. Really appreciate uh, that, and it was really enjoyable to chat with you today. And uh, to our listeners, thank you for listening to Under the Hood of Developer Marketing, the podcast devoted to developer marketing and relations. If you want to listen to other episodes, you can subscribe at developermarketingpodcast.com or follow us on Twitter at slash data HQ for regular updates. Thank you.